Today is the beginning of our celebration of the Easter season. You know, um, this is the, the highlight of the church, the Easter season. Some people think Christmas is their favorite holiday or whatever else. It's interesting in America today, they say the, the holidays that have the most money spent on them now are Christmas and Halloween, which is just kind of funny to me. It's kind of bizarre, I guess. It's not funny, it's bizarre. Two things that celebrate the exact opposite. I guess it shows how divided our culture really is. Um, but um, today is the beginning of, of the highlight of the Christian calendar, the celebration of the Easter season. Because the Easter season is a time that we remember the culmination of, of Jesus' ministry on earth. It's a time we celebrate His fulfillment of what He came to do. And you know, those final weeks of His life were kind of a, where everything happened that He'd been talking about was going to happen. It all came to pass. And it all happened. It's the time that we, we celebrate the, the day that Jesus really offered himself as king and savior to the, to the Israel and to the world. And, and at that time he came riding on a donkey and people waved palm branches. And we call that day what? Palm Sunday. Next Sunday we call it Palm Sunday. And then that's, that's one of the highlights of the Easter season. And then the, a few days later after that, after he came into town and, and they rejected Christ... And uh, they, they said, no, we don't want Jesus released. We want a murderer released, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Take Jesus. And they took Jesus out and they handed him over to, to ungodly people and they nailed him to a cross and he died. And we celebrate that in a certain event. What's that called? Good Friday. But it didn't end at the cross, did it? There's a reason why. I know you, today you can't see it because we've got a door in the way. But there's a reason why the cross is empty. Because Jesus isn't still on the cross. Because then we celebrate the culmination, the climax of the whole thing where, where they, the, his followers were weeping and, and his, the lady followers went to the, to the tomb where he'd been laid and the stone was rolled away and they went inside and what did they discover? He was gone. And what, what's the day we celebrate that? The empty tomb. Easter Sunday. And so today's the beginning of this whole cycle that we go through every year. And one of the wonderful things about tradition is that tradition keeps us focusing on the most important things very often. And the tradition of Easter keeps us focusing on these events which are the heart and the core of our walk with Christ. So starting today and, and for the Easter season services, we are going to, to do something that's kind of a continuation of what we've been doing over the last number of months. We're going to continue to walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. If you're visiting today, we've been going section by section through the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to kind of leap over a whole bunch of, of the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go to those days that are the end of what Jesus' culmination of His ministry, that Easter season, and we're going to look at, at the events of, of Jesus' last weeks through the Gospel of Mark as we walk with Jesus to the cross and then to the empty tomb. And we start today... On the first day of our, of our thinking about the Easter season, we start today with the events that happened on the night when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. That's where we're going to start. We're going to actually take things a little out of order, but we're going to do it because it's so important that we, that we put this event, this, 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 this event that happened, this culmination of Jesus' ministry, we put it into the events of the Easter celebration. That night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas was the night that he had had his final meal with the disciples. It's a night that we take our tradition of the Lord's Supper from. It's called, it's called the Last Supper. Famous picture you've seen of Jesus sitting around a table, the Last Supper. We're going to talk about that night. That was the night that he, he shared his last meal with his disciples and the night that, Ju that Judas betrayed him. 
But to really understand that night, to understand what would have happened, I know we see the depiction of the Last Supper, and it, I don't think it looked anything like that, but, but to, to put things in the perspective so we can understand what really happened that night, and for us to understand what that means for us today, because what happened back then, 2,000 years ago, is life-changing for us today if we'll grasp it. For us to understand what really happened that night, we need to take a trip back in time. I don't know if you believe in time travel. I really don't. But I believe we can in our minds kind of take a trip back in time in the Word of God. And we're not going to stop, go back in time 2,000 years and stop with, with that night with Jesus. We're going to go about 1,500 years earlier, about 3,500 years from this day backwards in time. And think about something that's going to relate to what we're looking at today. You see, if we go all the way back in time, about 3,500 years we find out that God, in His desire to reveal Himself to mankind, had, had developed the nation of Israel. They were already developed. He had even, hundreds of years before that, He had selected a man, Abraham, and, and his wife Sarah, and He said, you know what, guys, in order to reveal Myself to the world, I'm going I'm to choose you, and I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to have a special relationship with you. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and I'm going to make this whole nation as a way to reveal Myself to the world. And as a nation, they had grown and they had developed and they were, they were established as a nation. But in time, what Scripture says, that they had turned their hearts away from God. And that God, out of His love, in order to get their attention and turn their hearts back toward Him, had done something really drastic with the nation of Israel. He'd allowed them to go into to slavery in Egypt. They had gone there to escape drought, and now they developed, and instead of Pharaoh came on the scene, a king who came on the scene who didn't know their ancestors, and they became slaves in Egypt, and they're under Egyptian bondage and slavery. And for 400 years, they were crying out to God, saying, God, rescue us. We're your people. We're supposed to have this special relationship with you. Where are you? And after 400 years of slavery, it says that God responded to their cries for help, and He chose a man. Who was the man? Moses. He chooses this guy, Moses, and he talks to him out of a burning bush, and he says, Moses, I have a job for you. I want you to partner with me in what I'm going to do. It was God's plan, not Moses. And he says, I want to use you as my mouthpiece to lead my people, Israel, out of slavery. But not just out of slavery. I want to lead them out of slavery, but into something. I want to lead them into freedom and abundance in the promised land. So Moses directed by God Himself. God speaking directly to him, tells him, go to the leader, go to, to the Pharaoh, the king of the land, and say this message to him, let my people go. And Moses goes to the leader and says, hey, God, who Pharaoh doesn't even believe is real, says, let my people go. And, and Pharaoh did what we'd expect Pharaoh to do. He said... None of that's going to happen around here. You're my slaves. You build my bricks. You make my bricks. You build my, my monuments and all my structures and my pyramids. I'm not going to let you go. And Pharaoh wouldn't listen. So God, through Moses and through his brother Aaron, begun to begin to say, we're going to prove God's reality. And, and God brings plagues upon the land of Egypt. Remember, he turned the Nile into blood. He, he made gnats and frogs and boils and fleas and hail and locusts and darkness. All these different plagues come upon the land so that, so that the, the Egyptians would understand that God was real and that God was really saying, let my people go. 
But through the first nine plagues, Pharaoh refused to listen. He refused to be bent in his heart and opened up his heart. And, and he refused to let God's people go until the tenth plague. And that the tenth plague was the one where it was going to work. Where God would kill every firstborn child in the land, both man and animals. So God, knowing what he was going to do, knowing what the tenth plague would be, God told Moses to get his people ready to leave Egypt. He said, you guys are going to go. The tenth plague is going to work. And he said, get your people ready and in preparation. They were to take a one-year-old lamb that had no defects, no broken bones, no blemishes, a one-year-old lamb, and they were to kill it at twilight. In evening, all the houses were supposed to do it. And then they were supposed to take and collect some of its blood and put it in a bowl. And they were to take hyssop and imagine with me this is hyssop because we don't happen to have hyssop growing on our walls around here. And they took the blood, it said, and they were to take the blood and they were to mark their doors and they were to put it down the sides of their doors of their houses, marking them with blood on their doors, on the sides and on the top. They were to mark it with blood from the lamb that had, been, that had been slaughtered that evening, putting the blood upon the doors. And then they were, the blood was on the doors. They were to go inside of their homes and stay inside of their homes. And they were to take that lamb that had been slaughtered and his blood was put upon the doors, and they were to roast the lamb. And they were to prepare bitter herbs. And then they were to take bread. But not just regular bread. They were to bake bread but not use any yeast in their bread. And they were to break that. And they were to, they were to, they were to take that and they were to bake it. And they were to get ready. As, as they were doing this, they were to be in their house and they were to get ready to eat the food. And to depart in haste. Knowing that the Egyptians were going to come and going to beg them to leave their countries. Their country. And so that night after they had slaughtered their lambs and they had put the blood on the doors and they had baked their bread without yeast and they had their bitter herbs that night, these Israelites were in their homes with blood on their doorposts. The death angel, it says, went through the land of Egypt and killed every firstborn, both man and animals. But the death angel passed over the houses that had blood on their doorposts. The death angel came and it says that when he saw the blood, he would pass over the homes that had blood on their doorposts. And as a result of, of the death that was spread throughout the land of all the houses that didn't have blood upon their, upon their doors and the firstborn were all killed, Pharaoh and the Egyptians begged Moses and Israel to leave their land. So Moses led them. Two million men and women and children out of the evil and the oppression of Egyptian slavery and eventually led them to the promised land, which would be a land of abundance and a land of freedom. Now, let's go from that day and let's fast forward 1,500 years from that night that the death angel passed over the houses that had blood on the door and let's go to the night when Jesus ate his last meal with his disciples. See, the meal that they ate that night wasn't just any meal. It was the Passover meal. 
It was the annual celebration of deliverance that Israel observed every year to remember that night, that time when God had set their ancestors free from slavery and had passed over their homes, sparing their children. It's at this Passover celebration that we find the events that we want to look at today as we walk with Jesus to the cross. Grab your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Mark, the 14th chapter. And we're going to read about that night that's 1,500 years later, later than that night when the blood was put on the doors. That night that they were celebrating that event together. And this is what it says, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 12. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread. Now, understand the Passover celebration had two titles. It was called the Passover and it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread because they were remembering the unleavened bread and the fact that they had to clean leaven, yeast out of their houses. And that will make sense in a little while. So on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large room furnished and ready. Prepare for us there. The disciples went out and came to the city and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. Then he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And while they were eating, He took some bread. And after blessing it, He broke it. And He gave it to them and said, Take it, this is My body. And when He had given, given, taken a cup and given thanks... He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. I want you to understand something today. Jesus never does anything by accident. He chose the celebration of the Passover to be His last meal with His disciples for a reason. It was because He wanted them to really understand what His mission was among humanity. He chose that night because He really wanted them to understand what His mission was and He wants for us to understand what His mission still is toward you and toward me. You see, those people that night that celebrated the Passover at Jesus, those 12 disciples, they understood what the Passover meal was all about. It was a party for them, celebrating freedom and deliverance. They had celebrated it since the time they were little tiny children. They had celebrated the Passover when the father or the head of the house would get together and tell the events of that night, and very symbolically with the bread and the bitter herbs, talking about the suffering they would have. They would go through and they would talk 
about the events of the Passover. They had celebrated it for years, this, this party celebrating freedom and deliverance. It was kind of like us celebrating our 4th of July celebrations, celebrating freedom, celebrating independence from slavery. That's the way they looked at it. But on that day, Jesus wanted to show them that there was a whole lot more to the celebration than just celebrating past events. These for them, they were just looking back. 1,500 years, and they were celebrating for 1,500 years, celebrating the, the, the deliverance that God had brought to them. And it's wonderful. But He wanted them to understand that the symbolism of the Passover pointed not just back, but it pointed forward. That the symbolism pointed not just back to the events of deliverance out of Egypt, but that the symbolism of the Passover pointed to Jesus Himself. That He really was what the Passover was all about. That it was not just about freedom from Egyptian slavery, but the Passover was about freedom for all mankind from bondage and slavery to sin and to the devil. It was about freedom from bondage that, that, that man is, is captured by. So Jesus did something that was really unusual that Passover. He took the bread. It was unleavened bread. He took the bread and they were used to him, used to having a very special symbolism that went on with the bread every Passover. But he took the bread, the unleavened bread, the bread that symbolized the bread that was prepared for the people of Israel that day to sustain them during their flight out of Egypt. That to them was the symbol of freedom from evil and, and, and bondage that they lived in under Egypt. It was prepared to, to get ready to go. And he took that bread and it, was, it wasn't just any bread. It was their special bread. It was unleavened bread, which to them they understood the symbolism of it. It was unleavened. It had no yeast in it, which symbolized for them the fact that it had no sin in it. It had no corruption. For most of the time in Scripture, yeast and leaven is used to represent corruption and sin that when it comes in a, into a people group, it spreads through them. And it was unleavened bread, symbolizing the fact that it had no sin and it had no corruption. And he took the bread, pregnant symbolism, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said something that just would have blown their minds. He said, this is my body. This bread that meant everything to them, they celebrated it their whole lives. He said, this bread, this unleavened bread that symbolizes freedom for you, this bread, this is my body. He said that the bread that sustained your ancestors when they left Egypt was a symbol of what himself, what Jesus was to mankind. He said, I am the real bread of life. He said, I am the unleavened Passover bread without sin, without corruption, and real life, eternal life, comes only through me, through eating Him, receiving Him. Friends, He was saying this to them. He was saying, your ancestors lived for a while on the bread that was baked in the kilns in Egypt, but you can live forever in me. In Christ, you can live forever in me because I am the bread of life. And church, understand, that's just as true today as it was then. Real life, eternal life, is only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. He offers us freedom from death. 
when He gives us spiritual life. You know, someday we're all going to die, but a spirit-born child of God will live forever in His presence. And He was saying, that's really something that you celebrate the past, but I'm telling you something so much greater to celebrate today. Because He said to them that night, I am the real Passover bread, and I give real life. After Jesus had broken the bread, He set it aside, they ate from it, and He picked up the cup. He took a cup of wine that was traditional in the Passover celebration. He took the cup of wine that that symbolized the blood that was spread upon the doorposts. He took that cup of wine and he said, This is my blood. He looked at the blood. They knew it was representative of the blood of the Lamb. And he said, that, that wine, that symbolic wine that represents the blood of the Lamb to you, he said, that is my blood. That Lamb, that Lamb's blood was a sacrifice that functioned as a substitute for the Israelites' firstborn. It's, it's blood, the Lamb's blood, for the firstborn's blood. You understand what that they understood about that? That it's, its blood, the Lamb's blood was shed so that their firstborns would not have to be shed. It was a transaction. It was a substitute. It's blood for the firstborn's blood. And Jesus was saying, I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to die to be the substitute for mankind's blood. His blood for our blood. He was saying, I'm going to die in your place. The lamb died in the place of the firstborn in Egypt. But he said, you know what world, I'm going to die in your place. I'm going to take the punishment that you deserve for your sins upon himself so that we can experience real freedom. Freedom not from slavery in the world, but freedom from sin and the bondage that comes because of sin. The Passover celebrated deliverance from Egypt. But Jesus offers deliverance from sin and bondage in our lives. And when you come to Christ, He takes His blood and He applies it to the doorposts of your heart. His blood for your blood. So that you can walk through His door, through Himself, into the life of freedom that He has available for every person who comes to Him as Savior and Lord. He takes your sin and He gives you His righteousness. He breaks the chains of sin slavery in your life so that you for the first time in your life can say no to sin. Before you know Christ, you can try, but sin's got a grasp on you. But when you come to Christ, it's that He breaks the chains. He sets you free from bondage. And you can now say no to sin. I want to tell you something. The greatest joy I have in pastoring, it is the greatest joy by far, is when I see the results of broken bondage and chains in the lives of people who come into the church. It's the greatest joy I have. And I can tell you this, we see its results in our church family all the time. 
People being set free from the controlling things of this world, getting set free from sin that brings them to, when they come into Christ, and then all those things that, that bind them in their life, the shackles of that being broken as they walk with Jesus. We see it all the time. When I said we have the best Wednesday night class around, the reason I say it is because we're seeing it right in front of our face week after week. People walking in new levels of freedom every week. Addictions being broken. Addictions to alcohol. Addictions to drugs. Addictions to pornography. Addictions to smoking. Just this morning, Diane told me something. She said, I'm so happy. And she waited for two weeks to say it. She said, 14 days without a cigarette. Now understand something, friends. That may be a big deal in many cases. But 42 years of smoking. 42 years of addiction before that. And saying, through Christ... I found deliverance. I found freedom for something that I tried to break in the past and I couldn't do anymore. Jesus is the bondage breaker. That's what He's trying to tell us when He talks about the blood. Addictions broken. Broken relationships put back together. Wounds of the past healed. Brokenness restored in our lives. All those things we walk so often in bondage in our lives, in chains of the things of our past. And what Jesus loves to do as we walk with Him is He just breaks them and He breaks them and He breaks them when we ask Him. That's what the door is all about. That's what the blood on the door represents. When Jesus gives life, He gives us also the opportunity for delivering us from sin and from the bondages which come along with sin. And friends, in the story we read in Mark, he's saying this. He's saying it might be great that you celebrated your ancestors' deliverance from Egypt. That's wonderful. It was a great event. He's saying, but I want you to know that I offer freedom and deliverance that is so much more. You see, Jesus took the symbols of the Passover, the bread and the wine. And he explained that they really pointed to him. They really pointed to what he would do through his death and resurrection if we received him into our lives and then walked with him in his grace and his delivering power. So church, understand something. The next time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, the next time we celebrate, when we come together, and I usually always use that terminology, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so often the Lord's Supper tends to be somber. But you know what? It's based upon a celebration of freedom. The next time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, matter of fact, on Good Friday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. On Palm Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The next time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together and you hold in your hands the symbols of His body and His blood Let's remember that it's a celebration of life that He gives us. A life, a life of freedom and a life of deliverance. Freedom from, from, from the chains that the world has that He offers to us when we walk in Christ. And you need to understand something today, church. He's still setting people free. He still loves to break the chains of addiction. He still loves to heal your past. He still loves to take things that the devil said, that's a limitation, you'll never be anything. 
and say, oh yes, you will. He came to bring freedom to his people. And church, let me tell you, we're supposed to walk in the power of the Spirit. We're supposed to walk in the power of his freedom. And that's not weird and that's not goofy, that's just real. If God can say to somebody, here's the third point of the sermon. He can surely take your addiction that no one else knows about. You've been wrestling with forever. That pornography addiction, that alcohol addiction, that whatever addiction. And he can break it like that. doesn't mean you don't have a part to play in it. But when you give it to him, he breaks it. Those sins that are keeping you back, that you just say, if anybody really knew this little part of my life, they would not love me. Well, first of all, we would. But understand, God wants to open up those doors and clean out the room. It's breaking the chains. He's still in the business of setting people free. We're going to end today by me simply praying for our church. And here's what I want you to do. If there's something as I've been talking that has just popped into your mind, it's something that you've been wrestling with and you come to church and you smile on Sunday and nobody else knows about it or maybe just your spouse knows or just somebody, so maybe a few other people know, but you say that if, that if anybody really knew, well, let me tell you something, God really knows. But God loves you. We get this idea of God, He's sitting in heaven with a stick. And He's saying, you're saying if God only knew, well, God does know. And you're thinking He's just waiting to smack you alongside the head with the stick. He's not. If he had a stick, you know what he's waiting to do with it? Smash the chains that hold you back and set you free. So we're going to pray in just a moment. And we pray, I want you to do this. I want you to think of that thing that is a chain in your life. I want you to think of that thing that some of you right now, your heart's pounding because you're saying, but this thing has been the, the, the thing that's identified me my whole life. You think of that thing and today, you're going to ask Jesus to come in and break the chains. Would you stand with me this morning?